0: Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, here we are this morning, as of April 26th, under 32 days of a stay-at-home order. And now under the governor's plan to phase to a safer-at-home plan, as they are calling it, we understand that it's still going to be quite a long road ahead. It's felt like a long road and there's quite a ways to go. And Globally, it's a road that sent dire shockwaves through whole societies, whole countries. The U.S. jobless rate is approaching critical. Oil is all of a sudden practically worth nothing a barrel. Other areas of the world are even harder hit. The head of the UN Food Agency Uh, declared this week that there are 30 countries around the globe that are headed toward a famine of global proportions as a result of COVID-19. Global proportions, his words. It'll be a much longer road for our nation, our world, even our community and our church. It's a long road still ahead for us. A road filled with a lot of uncertainty. In our gospel reading this morning, we encountered two disciples, Cleopas and a companion, perhaps his wife, perhaps a, a friend, who are walking a literal long road and who are walking weighed down by fear, grief, and uncertainty. As we look at their story, I invite you to consider how we can learn from it about how Jesus meets us and reveals himself to us even on our own long roads of uncertainty. There are three specific ways I want us to look at how Jesus meets us. Through his word, through the other, and through the table. Through his word, through the other, and through the table. But Before we dive into those revelations, first, Luke, our gospeler, sets the scene for us. He builds it for us the sad disciples walking and talking on the road. And Jesus comes and joins them. And before he reveals anything of himself to them, he asks them about where they're at as he finds them. What are you talking about? And when he receives the incredulous sort of what rock have you been living under response, he still persists. He wants to hear them name it. He wants to hear them proclaim to, you, to him what it is that they're grieving over, what things they're talking about. Because sober honesty is the foundation of true faith. This is why confession is so central to the journey of faith confession, which comes from the Latin confetere, meaning to declare forcefully, to declare with force. This is why we say in the liturgy, not only let us confess our sins to Almighty God, but also let us confess our faith using the words of the creed. We're also led on a regular basis to forcefully declare our needs and the needs of those around us, the needs of the world to God through our prayers. And we declare the Lord's death and resurrection through our celebration of the table. Christianity is a confessional faith. We confess, declare forcefully in all these different dimensions and senses, week by week and day by day. Because when Jesus walks with us on the journey of faith and life, he invites our confessions, our forceful declarations, not just of piety but of lack of brokenness, of need, confusion, failure, sorrow, pain. Jesus invites it all, and he expects it all. He wants to hear it from us. And so after hearing the disciples' declarations, then Jesus begins to reveal himself, not overtly, still veiled for the moment in this case but he begins a revelation of himself that the disciples begin resonating with. Later they'll reflect, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the way and opened the scriptures to us? And that's exactly what it is, a revelation from the scriptures. Read in verse 25. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The word Jesus uses here, which we have translated as foolish ones, literally means uncomprehending. Jesus is simply laying bare, showing this is the situation, guys you have not comprehended what the scripture said, and therefore you've been slow to believe all the things that it has said about me. And then we read, going all the way back to Moses, which is biblical shorthand for the first five books of the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. So basically, going all the way back to Genesis, he begins showing them all of the pertinent passages and how they apply to him and to the work of the Christ to suffer and die and rise again to bring newness of life to his people. Now remember, these guys are walking seven miles in that hilly country where they're traveling. So at best, they're probably only going about two miles an hour. So he's got like three to three and a half hours to give them this Old Testament survey. But the essential point in this is twofold. First, that the scriptures All of them, all 66 books of this Bible, including the 39 books of the Old Testament, all of it speaks to the purpose and plan of God in and through Christ Jesus. It's all in there. As the old saying attributed to St. Augustine goes, the new is in the old concealed, the old is in the new revealed. All that we read explicitly about Jesus in the Gospels and in the New Testament, it's all there in the Old Testament, just concealed until the fullness of time when the full revelation would come in Christ. So, whenever we read a passage of Scripture, whatever book of the Bible we draw from, the question to be asking ourselves is how does this help me understand the plan of God, the purpose of God, and how does it direct me to Christ? furthermore when we come across a passage that's hard to understand we don't need to run to the newspaper or the internet or the latest you know new york times best-selling rabbi author to interpret this or that to us scripture interprets scripture and jesus is the key to it all scripture interprets scripture so here's the second part of my twofold point then It's all meant to reveal Jesus and fuel faith. It's meant to reveal Jesus and fuel faith. It's great to read the scriptures and understand the historical backgrounds and the language and the grammar of the original and those academically oriented pursuits. I've devoted seven years of formal education and I engage week in and week out over these last 15 years of ministry in ongoing education to get at uh, all the understanding of all those things. But at the end of the day, this is not an academic book of theology. Neither is it simply a manual on Christian living. Though it certainly forms the foundation for the pursuit of knowledge of God and certainly informs a great deal of how one ought to live, ultimately, this is a revelation. That's the title of the last book of the book. But really, the whole thing is a revealing. The self-revelation of the God of the universe. And his purpose is not that we would know more about God or about how to live in, uh, you know, following him, but that we would come to more fully and intimately know God and be more fully united to him. Believe me, in college and seminary, I took plenty of courses in the Old Testament and very few of them did I come away feeling like my heart was burning within me. I did not share in Cleopas's uh, and his companions' uh, same response. Very few caused my heart to burn within me, But some did, especially the ones where the professor would say, "Okay, that's all great. We understand all the historical background, and you know here's some of the insights from the grammar and all that. But what is God saying? What is God saying to us through this passage? Because we fundamentally believe that when the scriptures are rightly understood and proclaimed, God's voice is heard. When the scriptures are rightly understood and proclaimed, God's voice is heard. That's been my life's pursuit as a preacher, to rightly interpret and apply and therefore convey the message of any given text Trusting that when I do that well through the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts as I pray each week, God reveals Himself. God's voice is heard. But it doesn't take the formal schooling and years of practice and training I have to meet the Lord through His Scriptures. It doesn't. Because all of us have access to a far better teacher. Jesus promised that when his Holy Spirit came upon his church, the Spirit would lead us believers into all truth. In part, that means guiding each individual and illuminating our understanding so that our hearts too can burn within us as we meet the Lord in his word. When Jesus comes and meets us on the road of life's uncertainties, he reveals himself. He reveals himself first, through the word of God. As the story progresses, we then encounter the coming to Emmaus. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he, Jesus, acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with him, with them. Now briefly, I want to point out the way these disciples encounter Jesus through their own act of hospitality. There's a very real sense in which they could have missed the opportunity to fully recognize and receive from Jesus if they had not invited him into their home. They may have eventually been present at one of Jesus' many other post-resurrection appearances, but their eyes would have remained blinded to Jesus in their midst on this day if they had not welcomed him into their home. The author of Hebrews warns believers not to neglect showing kindness to strangers. And he goes on and says, because thereby some have entertained even angels unaware. Jesus himself teaches in that famous passage about uh, coming his coming again and sorting between uh, his followers like sheep from goats. And what's the dividing line? What is he, what's the sorting tool? For as much as you did something to the least of my brothers or sisters, you did it unto me. And conversely, as much as you did not do it unto the least of one of my brothers or sisters, you did not do it unto me. Radical hospitality is a hallmark of the Christian way. And it's a chief point of encounter with Christ. Reaching out to another can be a place of encountering the Lord. I've seen and experienced this time and time again. In college, I burned white hot with a passion to know God and to pursue Him passionately, and so I got involved in all kinds of Bible studies and small groups and prayer groups and worship experiences, but the chief place, the chief place the Lord met me in my early college years was in a ministry going and walking among the homeless of downtown Chicago. Through the very act of loving homeless individuals i found a place where i myself met more fully the passion and compassion of jesus i've encountered the same in ministry to refugees and in visiting alzheimer's and dementia patients as well as enjoying truly holy moments in our home over table fellowship with others because by being open to another we make space for the big O, other. As Jesus meets us on the road, the second place he often reveals himself is in our openness and compassion toward the other. Well, finally, after all this buildup, Luke, with a storytelling gift to match the TV creators of Undercover Boss, brings us to the big reveal. Verse 30. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Now, of course, the context of this final scene is simple table fellowship. At the end of this seven mile journey in the evening, They invite Jesus in and they break bread together. They have a a simple evening meal. But Luke is very deliberate with the language he uses to describe Jesus' actions. He took, blessed, broke, gave. Those same four words appear just two chapters earlier in the Passover meal when the Lord institutes the sacrament of his body and blood. He takes, blesses, breaks, gives. So for Luke's readers and for us, there's an intentionally Eucharistic overtone invested in this simple act of table fellowship because it's chiefly in the sacrament of the table that Jesus still chooses to come among his people to make himself known to us. This is why we call it communion. It expresses a depth of connection with the Lord that is not possible in any other way or at any other time. Brothers and sisters, this is why we're a church of word and sacrament. Because if we believe that when we rightly interpret and understand the scriptures, God's voice is truly heard, we equally believe that when his uh, sacraments are duly and rightly administered, his real true presence is with us and within us in the bread and the wine. Jesus, delights to come among his people to walk with us on the road of our own fears concerns uncertainties and he chooses to meet us there to reveal himself to us through his word through the other through the table this week i read an excellent blog post by author ann voskamp As she was reflecting on the sobering realities of these uncertain days, she reminded her readers of the story of Vice Admiral James Stockdale. Admiral Stockdale was taken as a prisoner of war in Vietnam and imprisoned and tortured over seven years. Sadly, many of those who were taken with the Admiral, even some who came into the prison after him, didn't last nearly as long before their spirits were broken and they died. When asked why he was able to survive when others didn't, Stockdale reflected that those who broke tried to approach their situation with blind optimism. They kept setting goals. They would tell themselves, oh, we'll be out by Christmas. And Christmas would come and go and they'd say, okay, we'll be out by Easter. Surely we'll be out by Easter. We'll be out by the Fourth. We'll be out by Thanksgiving. And then another Christmas and New Year's, another Easter, and never were they right. Each time their hopes were up, pointed toward that optimistic goal, and when the goal was missed, they were slowly crushed in spirit and weighed under the weight of the disappointment. Stockdale, on the other hand, accepted the reality of the brutal hardships that he had to endure on the one hand, while gripping bravely to hope in the other. He accepted that he would have to endure the nearly unendurable, but he believed that if he endured, he would one day be free. Voskamp puts it this way, accept that the story is going to be long and hard, but never lose faith that it's going to be a good story. She's talking about the biblical story. We know the ending. We know it has a good ending, so never lose sight of that, even as we accept that sober reality that it's going to be long and hard. She goes on and says, When there doesn't seem to be any end in sight, simply keep Jesus himself in sight, and you will see the way, capitals, the way through. This is exactly what Jesus offers his disciples on the Emmaus Road. It is what he offers us on the arduous road of doubt, uncertainty, fear, pain, loss, that is the road of life. Not easy answers, not cheery, optimistic aphorisms or platitudes and false hopes, but himself. A place to honestly confront the brutal realities of life, but then receive in exchange a deeper revelation of him through his word, through the other, through his table. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.